Listen, I get it. You like saving in Bitcoin. But check this out. You can actually complement your HODL position by investing in Bitcoin startups. If you want additional upside and enjoy learning about angel investing, you should check out Lightning Ventures. Lightning Ventures is a great way to stack real equity in Bitcoin-only companies. They've invested in businesses you've heard about on this show, including Azteco, CrowdHealth, and Swan Bitcoin. And Lightning Ventures makes it easy to get started in the world of early stage investing. The minimum investment is only $1,000 per deal, and you only invest in the deals that make sense to you. So if you want to get a behind the scenes look at the startups you know and love, if you want a chance to support their growth, and if you want another opportunity to profit as the Bitcoin ecosystem develops, check out the 60 second application in the show notes to get started today in building a world that runs on better money. The Seats on Our Project is an open source software project that lets you build what is the functional equivalent of a hardware wallet using off-the-shelf, freely available kind of electronic computer parts. Seed Center is more geared towards people who see Bitcoin as a long-term savings vehicle. And if you would like to save with Bitcoin for the long term, I personally believe that offline cold storage using a multi-signature setup is probably the best and most secure approach to that. Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is Seed Signer, who's the eponymous founder of the Seed Signer Project. Seed is a class of 2013 Bitcoiner, a retired law enforcement officer and digital forensic examiner. And in addition to being the leader of the Seed Signer Project, he is also the owner and operator of BTC Hardware Solutions, which we'll also be talking about today. Of course, before we get to our interview with Seed, we do have this week's Bitcoin Meetup Spotlight. And this week is the St. Charles, Missouri Bitcoiners. The St. Charles, Missouri Bitcoin Meetup is the most well-read meetup around. Join them on Sundays in September for their weekly reading group at LaBelle V Cafe or their monthly meetup every first Tuesday of the month at the Elm Tap House in St. Charles. This month, they're featuring an in-person lending library and book swap, and they're looking to expand their meetup soon, opening up new chapters in South County, St. Louis and Edwardsville, Illinois. If you want to find out more about this particular meetup, you can go to their meetup page which is linked down below. And if you're looking to find a Bitcoin meetup near you, I encourage you to also check the show notes for a link to the Oshi app, which will help you to do just that. Now we're going to get to our interview with Seed right after this. Business owners, unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with the Bitcoin for Business Quick Start Guide. This 27-page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. Seed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you a little bit better and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I'm absolutely ready. Fire away. When and how did you first learn about Bitcoin? So I won't make this too long of a story, but um, some people have heard about my background. I'm a retired police officer. I was a cop for 15 years. And the majority of my time in law enforcement was spent working in a digital forensic lab. So back in late 2012 or early 2013, um, at some point, there was another examiner in the forensic lab I worked in. And we, you know, 
digital forensics, we take up our computers and phones and, you know, analyze them to see if there's evidence to support or refute an allegation of a crime. There was another uh, examiner in the forensic lab who was working a case where a, a local kid was mining Bitcoin with uh, a gaming rig that his parents had probably given him for Christmas or something like that. This was back when you could still viably mine Bitcoin with a GPU. So he's mining Bitcoin at home. He purchases marijuana on the Silk Road, has it shipped to his doorstep, and then he um, he takes it to school and is making a, a nice little hustle selling dime bags to his classmates. But that is what brought Bitcoin into my uh, frame of mind, and, and that's what set me down the rabbit hole of what is this thing? Why does it require so much compute? What does it do? What is it? Uh, what is it good for? And so that's that's how my uh, rabbit hole journey started. That's interesting. Uh, just a follow up question there. It's mm-hmm. it's something that you know you found someone who was breaking the law. You think as a, a policeman that would have given you a negative perception or perspective about Bitcoin. Was that the case at first or from the very beginning were you like, this is interesting, let me just learn more and coming at it with an open mind? Kind of like, what, what was the dynamic there? I think because I had never heard of it so that there wasn't that sort of negative stigma attached to it as of yet. Um, a lot of people hadn't even heard of the Silk Road or knew that Bitcoin was involved with that. So I think I approached it more from a curiosity angle. Plus, you have to consider mm-hmm. um, in a forensic lab, we're all police officers, but we're kind of the the misfit cops. So we're the geeky or nerdy people who are just kind of more intellectually curious, you know, not that other cops aren't, but especially when it comes to um, technological developments and new things. Uh, I, I remember looking it up and I didn't understand if all of the compute was part of some sort of distributed password cracking engine, or if it was if you're familiar with SETI at home, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, where they use your compute to try to analyze patterns from space and see if they can find evidence of intelligent life or folding at home um, is another one kind of distributed computing network. So I, it just really intrigued me that like, what are they using this energy and compute for? And it turns out it's to create, you know, an, uh, a sound money that can't be double spent. But yeah, that was uh it was super interesting because there wasn't a lot of great information. I actually joined Bitcoin Talk and spent a fair amount of time uh, on the original Bitcoin Talk forum. And then back then, Reddit was also probably a primary source of information about at least current events in Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin Twitter wasn't really a thing yet. So I was spending most of my time on Reddit and uh, BitcoinTalk.org trying to figure out what was what. Question number two is this. What's an insight or fact about Bitcoin that you wish everyone understood? It's kind of tangential to Bitcoin, but I, I, I wish people would understand that inflation really does steal uh, purchasing power and essentially savings from people. And that Bitcoin is potentially, if it continues to grow and gain adoption, Bitcoin is the antidote to that because of its its fixed supply. So. What's the Bitcoin resource you most recommend to other people? It's a newer and growing one, but I'm going to have to say Noster. Um, mm. And for those who may not be aware, Noster is a decentralized social network that is at this point somewhat comparable to uh, Twitter or what is now referred to as X, I guess. But you can post uh, short little notes and links and images and you follow other people and get access to their posts. But there's, I think, a lot of uh, the Bitcoiners who are in Bitcoin for what I would personally call the right reasons for um, 
freedom money, sound money, uncensorable money. A lot of the people that really believe in that use case for Bitcoin are also attracted to Nostr. So I think there's uh, an exceptional amount of signal there uh, for the number of people. It's still a small social network, but there's a lot of great, uh, great Bitcoiners with good ideas there. Beyond Bitcoin, what is a resource, tool, or idea that's been helpful to you and your work recently? For a tool, I would have to say this may be a weird one, um, but the Cash App. So I have uh, a little side hustle where I sell Bitcoin-related hardware items. And since just about the beginning of it, I have used the Cash App to manage um, you know, income and expenditures related to the business. And what is very convenient about it for me is that it allows me to keep both a dollar uh, account with access to ACH and some other banking services, but I can also keep alongside of that a Bitcoin balance. And granted, it is uh, custodial, so there's some trust involved with that. But um, uh, what it does for me also is at the end of a given uh, calendar year, I have access to a complete ledger of all of my transactions that are both dollar and Bitcoin related. And it'll quote the, the spot price and the nominal amount of Bitcoin when I make transactions either with Lightning or on-chain so it's a really useful for me kind of uh, all-in-one ledger when I have to account for taxes at the end of the year and kind of track what's coming in and what's going out. And now we have our final, what we call our arbitrary but insightful question, and it's this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I am a contrarian by, by nature, um, so I, I lean towards why not, but I'll give you my reason why. And my reason why is there's there's a saying that if you want what other people have, do what other people do. And so if you want to have a different path in life and have access to you know more flexibility, more freedom, more resources um, than most other people do, you have to think differently from most uh what most other people do. So that that also pushes me towards the why not. Meet Linkster, your premier Bitcoin-focused advisor. Linkster caters to businesses, institutions, family offices, and high net worth individuals. They merge your unique financial goals and needs with Linkster's Bitcoin expertise to craft your own sustainable plan to preserve and grow the value of your hard-earned profits and retained earnings. At Linkster, it's not just advice. It's tailored execution. Connect directly with the founder by visiting linkster.com. That's L Y. Y-N-C-S-T-E-R.com. Linkster, secure your future with Bitcoin. Today's episode of Business Bitcoinization is proudly brought to you by Vellus Commerce, where the future of business technology meets Bitcoin. As we journey through the era of Bitcoin and its transformational impact on businesses, there's one name that stands out. Vellus Commerce. Whether you're looking to build a cutting-edge website, a seamless mobile app, or custom software, Vellus is your go-to team. They've been diving deep into the world of Bitcoin since 2014, making them one of the most experienced groups for integrating Bitcoin and Lightning payments into a variety of digital platforms. 
But here's what truly sets them apart. Vela's Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Vela's Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future-proof your business in the coming age of hyper-Bitcoinization, head over to velascommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at velascommerce. Let's make sure your business thrives in the Bitcoin era. Well, that's a great transition to our main topic today. We're going to be talking about the Seed Signer Project, and this is a different path than most people and something that's uh, been helpful for a lot of Bitcoiners and something that, like I told you before we started recording, I could learn a little bit more about. I know people in the Bitcoin space who are huge fans of it. Um, so maybe if you could just start off by sharing with us about the project, uh, why it got started and why you think it is important. Absolutely. So for those who, who aren't aware, um, the Seed Center project is an open source software project that lets you build what is the functional equivalent of a hardware wallet using off-the-shelf, um, freely available kind of electronic computer parts. Um, and we approach cold storage a little bit differently. I'll also say um, Seed Center has nothing to do with lightning. Um, Seed Center is more geared towards people who see Bitcoin as um, long a long-term savings vehicle. And if you would like to save with Bitcoin for the long-term, I personally believe that um, offline cold storage using a multi-signature setup is probably the best and most secure approach to that. And there are a number of different ways you can go about it. But as I mentioned before, I have kind of a unique background uh, in law, both law enforcement, um, digital forensics, and then sprinkle in some information security background as well. And so when I, I, my personal Bitcoin story kind of comes in two acts. First act was Bitcoin as an investment. And that's kind of like what kind of personal economic gains can I make from this asset? And then I went through what I'd call a weak hands episode in 2017 and sold kind of just as the bull market was getting started. I'm not going to misrepresent my timing. Um, I was very early and spent the rest of the year not wanting to think or hear about Bitcoin because the price just kept going sure. up and up and up. <laughs> but like they say uh, about the mafia, it pulls you back in. And so I found that in 2018, um, I started listening to just kind of organically the same Bitcoin podcast I listened to historically, started paying attention to Twitter again. And as the price was coming down, I was getting back into Bitcoin. But this was kind of act two of my Bitcoin story where it was more about what is the legacy that I'm leaving to my children? What kind of world are they going to be growing up in? What what a I'm uncomfortable with the amount of money at least my government is spending in the amount of debt that they're accruing. And this doesn't seem sustainable. What other solutions are out there? So as I started getting back into Bitcoin, I started accumulating, you know, a little bit of Bitcoin over time, you know, at much higher prices and much less than I originally owned. Uh, I started thinking more and more about how how can I store this in a way that with my unique background that I feel more comfortable with. And I think part of the what I refer to as the weak hands episode, I think part of that was wrapped up in not being 100% confident in my cold storage setup. Um, in retrospect, it was a good setup, but as new technologies were becoming more accessible uh, in 2018, 2019, multi-sig was finally moving from this theoretical kind of state to something that average Bitcoiners 
we're getting access to with new tools like Spectre Desktop and eventually Sparrow 2 and some other mobile wallets. Um, but as I started thinking about uh, cold storage and the way that doing it made sense to me, um, I came across a podcast by a, a researcher called Michael Flaxman. He was on he was on Stefan Lavera's podcast, and he wrote a guide called "How to 10x Your Bitcoin Security." I, I think that's the I think that's the title of it. It's hosted on GitHub. If you Google it, it's easy to find. But he did a, a podcast episode about um, kind of the the crux of that guide is what are the ways that you can get the most bang for your buck in terms of Bitcoin security, like um, small some small changes um some larger changes but as i listened to that podcast that led me to specter desktop and specter desktop for those who don't know is what's called a, a wallet coordinator or a multi-sig coordinator so it's the software that is between the bitcoin network and your hardware wallet so it um you, you give a private key to it so it's able to track a wallet's balance and track transactions but it doesn't have the the secret information um, that's necessary to actually spend the Bitcoin. So Spectre Desktop also has its own kind of do-it-yourself uh, signer or hardware wallet project called Spectre DIY. And it's a it's a DIY project. You buy the parts, you put it together, you load the software. With my background uh, being a little more technical, it appealed to me. So I built one of these. And the first time I used it, it was almost akin to the first time I sent a Bitcoin transaction or the first time I used the Lightning Network. Um, and for those who aren't aware, uh, Seed Signer as well as Spectre DIY and some other hardware wallets, instead of connecting uh, a hardware wallet or a device to your laptop or to your phone to communicate a proposed Bitcoin spend, you communicate it via QR codes and use the webcam and the screen for both devices. And I was never comfortable plugging a hardware wallet into a laptop via a USB connection. Um, in the forensic world, the digital forensic world, that's something that we're very careful about. And we use specialized hardware to make sure that changes aren't made to the media that we're connecting. And if you come to understand that you, if you can update the firmware via that USB connection, if there's some sort of malicious software on your system, um, you know, unfortunately, a, a lot of bad things can happen. So Spectre DIY was a very elegant solution to be in terms of being able to still kind of conveniently use a hardware wallet-like device, but not having to physically connect it and trust that that USB connection wasn't being exploited for some sort of uh, malicious purpose. So I, I uh, just a little bit further, I... Um, I built that and it actually put me in touch with Michael Flaxman, who uh, was very gracious with his time and told me about an idea he had to use a very specific version of the Raspberry Pi. Most people are probably familiar with a larger version of the Raspberry Pi that you use to build Bitcoin nodes. Um, but there's a smaller version called the Raspberry Pi Zero. And there's a specific version of that that does not have any Wi-Fi. So it doesn't have Bluetooth, doesn't have um, any sort of other wireless communication mechanisms. So it's naturally this very isolated computing environment where you could work with uh, private keys and have a pretty high degree of assurance that there's no sort of wireless data exfiltration going on. He gave me the idea to use this Raspberry Pi Zero as a way to create Bitcoin keys in an offline and secure manner. And so again, I have a little bit of a technical background. So I, I bought some hardware 
and I watched uh, Udemy videos on Python for a week because I had a little bit of a coding background, but I'm not a coder by trade or uh, by any means. And I learned just enough Python to be dangerous and to create kind of this proof of concept of this device that would let you create new Bitcoin private keys uh, via seed phrase in an offline way. And then it occurred to me because this little device had a screen and some buttons and obviously the Raspberry Pi. And I thought if I add a $5 camera to this, it turns it into the same basic class of device as the Spectre DIY, but at a very low price point. Um, you know, back then you could walk into a micro center and buy one of these Raspberry Pis for $5 and you add about 20, 20 additional dollars worth of a screen and a camera and you have a really powerful um, technological stack that could be used to create a signing device. Um, mm -hmm. So I published some proof of concepts online. The idea seemed to have enough merit that it attracted some other people with much better coding skills than me. And that was kind of, that was the genesis of Seed Signer. And that was, I guess, in started out in December of 2020, I believe it was. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> rambled a bit and, and digressed, but I, I think that answers your question, right? Absolutely. So you mentioned Stefan Levera's podcast early on and, and still now, but I think early on, especially I would go to his podcast when I wanted to kind of go a little bit further than I felt comfortable going as far as the technical side of things, because he has guests on and they talk about what to a non-technical person like myself is somewhat technical sometimes. I feel like what we've just gone through now uh, might be similar for some people listening to this podcast. Now, you know, it, it's, all, it's all over the map as far as people's uh, level of comfortability when it comes to the ideas of like cold storage and, and, you know, signing devices. But basically, if you have Bitcoin, you want to keep it secure. And what what I'd like to hear about now is what Seed Signer does that's different. First of all, it, you already covered. It's something that you can create yourself. And it's something that's relatively affordable. You also mentioned the QR code piece. So you don't have to plug anything up to your computer. What are some additional points of differentiation when it comes to Seed Signer when compared to um, other hardware wallets, signing devices uh, that people could begin to understand the project better? Sure. And if I could jump backwards a little bit, uh, I just want to point out the power in acquiring these components yourself is mm -hmm. uh, that it doesn't land you on yet another list of Bitcoiners. So mm -hmm. you can order the parts to build a seed signer. They're not Bitcoin specific. They're just general purpose kind of hobbyist computer parts. And uh, just by virtue of order, ordering these parts, you order them from a, a general purpose supplier who's not Bitcoin related and, and such. We've all kind of seen in the past um, how, especially through mailing lists and promotional uh, email lists, uh, some Bitcoin companies have had leaks that expose some information about uh, groups of Bitcoiners. Probably most famously in this was the Ledger leak that exposed kind of a, a tragic thing. My information was in that as well as a lot of people mm -hmm. I know. Because um, early on, I bought a Ledger probably back in 2015 or 2016. Uh, but your legal name, your shipping address, your email address, uh, a lot of this really private stuff that is just now kind of out there. Um, so being able to build Seed Center privately yourself is very powerful. And it's also powerful for people who live in some of the more diff difficult places in the world. 
because of the economic sanctions now in Russia as a result of the conflict in Ukraine, um, Russians have trouble getting access to harder wallets through uh, what I call what I call approved channels. So if you're in Russia, it's difficult to acquire a Trezor or a cold card through a sanctioned channel from the manufacturer. So Seed Signer for those people is a, a great option to be able to have an alternative to still be able to do cold storage. Um, and also in places like Iran um, or other parts of the world where Bitcoin is maybe not illegal, maybe its legal status is, is somewhat gray, but people don't necessarily, China is another place, where people don't necessarily want to signal to the world around them that they're a Bitcoiner and, and doing so could expose them to some degree of risk. Again, seed signer is something that they can assemble in the privacy of their own home and use privately without worrying about um, exposing their interest in Bitcoin to the world around them. Before you get back to the original question, when it comes to buying these pieces, you know, uh, so you won't necessarily be identified as a Bitcoiner. Would you recommend uh, diversifying where you buy things from? I'm just thinking of, for instance, Amazon. It's like customers frequently <laughs> purchase these other items with. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like at some point, um, you know, there's potential for someone to come in and uh, begin to identify people who bought these five, six, seven different things. So I don't know. What are your thoughts there? Is that is that too conspiratorial? No, I don't think that's conspiratorial at all. And actually, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned it. I Somebody shared a photo with me a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on Nostra, that they had logged into Amazon and looked at the particular um, display screen and controls that we use. Mm. And it had come up as like a bundled kind of thing, like customers usually buy these together, exactly, exactly. what you're alluding to. So yes, that's a consideration. So um, if you are building one as a part of a way to like st completely stay off the radar, I would either buy them at different times or even better from different retailers. And the, you know, the Raspberry Pi camera that we use is ubiquitous. You can find those anywhere. Um, the very specific model of display and controls that we use is also available from a lot of on online resources. So it's not a big lift to order them uh, from separate entities. You may pay a little bit more, but that definitely could be worth it. And all, all in, what are we talking price-wise? And I, I, it fluctuates all the time, and it's probably gotten more expensive since 2020. But what are people looking? Um, what are people yeah. looking at approximately? I we're still coming in less than fifty dollars. It depends okay. on your time preference. If you're willing to order from Chinese suppliers like AliExpress, uh, you can keep the price down probably below thirty or thirty-five dollars. If your time preference is higher and you want to order from Amazon, you're probably going to be closer to fifty, maybe a little bit more. But I'll also point out there is kind of uh, a cottage industry springing up of Bitcoiners in different parts of the world that make seed signers available to uh, the communities and the people around them. Hmm. Now, this admittedly, it, it, this is a trade-off. If you're sourcing the parts from someone else, I don't think that there's inherently a huge risk with that if you examine the components and just confirm that you're getting you know, what appears to be an authentic Raspberry Pi board that matches pictures of known images online, such that sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting the kind of uh, spectrum of different trade-offs that, that people approach the project with because, I mean, there are people, there's a couple different people selling them in Europe. I make them available in here in the United States. There's sellers in the Philippines and Aust uh, Australia and other parts of the world. So it's 
it's interesting to see that aspect of the project mm-hmm. develop. So then back to the question that I asked however many minutes ago about kind of sure. some additional points of differentiation about <laughs> Seed Signer that we haven't discussed already. Yeah, the 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 USB bit we already discussed, um, we're not entirely unique in that regard. Spectre DIY uh, also uses the QR codes. Foundation Passport uses QR codes. Um, Keystone can't think of the name of their particular device, but it's uh, similar uh, in that it uses camera and cell phones. And what I'll add about the QR exchange process is that for Bitcoiners that are in parts of the world where it's not common for somebody to have a desktop or a laptop computer at home, because you're using the QR codes, um, our signing device, as well as the other devices that use that technology, are compatible out of the box with um, any device that has a screen and a camera. So for Bitcoiners and parts of the world that are mobile first, meaning mm. they don't typically use computers, their way of accessing the internet and Bitcoin is primarily through a mobile device. Another nice thing about Seed Signer is that out of the box, it just works with a phone with no need for any kind of adapters or moving a micro SD card back and forth or anything like that. So it's a, it's a very accessible solution for Bitcoiners that are mobile first. And then what I'll also mention is probably the, the most unique thing about Seed Center at this point is that it is uh, what's referred to as a stateless um, computing device. And stateless is just kind of fancy computer science speak for a device that either doesn't remember everything or doesn't remember certain types of data when you use it. So with Seed Signer, it is engineered specifically not to store your private keys. And that is the exact opposite of most other hardware wallets and signing devices out there. Um, Trezor, Ledger, Bitbox, Coldcard, of course, all of these devices are designed to um, preserve and safeguard a digital copy of your private keys. You still have to keep uh, an analog copy, usually in the form of seed words, uh, as a backup in case you lose the device or get stolen or the device fails. But primarily what a hardware wallet's job is, is to store and provide some level of access protection to your uh, your private key. Seed Center takes that kind of and flips it on its head in that when you power the device on, it doesn't know anything about private keys that you've previously used. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know anything about transactions that you've made or what you've done before. So every time you power it on, you have to uh, introduce your private key to it. Once you introduce the private key to it, then it's basically like a hardware wallet. Um, you can use it to set up uh, a new uh, Bitcoin wallet. You can use it to uh, make spends. But when you pull the power from it, the nature of computer RAM, which is what we leverage with the Raspberry Pi Zero, um, the nature of RAM is that it is volatile memory, another computer science term. So volatile memory is such that when you remove power from the system, it does not hold the data state. That's that's where they get the stateless reference from. So when you unplug that seed signer, not just your private keys, but with our latest version, the entire operating system of the Raspberry Pi is being stored and used from memory. So when you unplug it, the memory is reset and it just dissipates. So it's it's we use this kind of clever characteristic of RAM to create this device that doesn't store your private keys. Like I said, um, our model requires that you introduce the private keys to the device every time you turn it on. So that's another reason why I say Seed Signer is 
a great device for your long-term Bitcoin savings. If you have a Bitcoin account that uh, you make more frequent transactions from, like you use it for your business or you're using it regularly for purchases, I think something like a hardware wallet makes a lot of sense because you have that balance between having your key stored on the device and the convenience of having it there, but you also have a reasonable amount of access control in the form of a PIN and whatever other security mechanisms are uh, implemented on the device. Hmm. Um, with SeedSigner, the idea is you're likely using it uh, in a multi-sig configuration, and you're only making those transactions maybe once a year to do a key check to you know make sure that you feel comfortable with your setup. And then those those big transfers for when you want to buy a car, when you want to put a down payment on a house, when you want to you know, make some other big purchase that's important in your life, which is what Bitcoin is so valuable for, because you don't need the seed signer to be able to monitor your balance or to uh, make deposits to, you know, a given Bitcoin wallet. You just need the device when you want to spend the money. Mm. So um, I, I, I should also mention, you know, in the beginning with a seed signer to introduce your private key to the device, you had to sit down. And for people who haven't seen one, it looks like a, a little tiny video game console with a thumbstick, kind of a joystick, a few buttons on the other side, and a screen in the middle. And you would have to type in your 12 or 24 seed words to get your private key active on the device. One of our contributors early on came up with this clever way of storing your seed phrase as a QR code. So now when you power on the device, you activate the camera, and you can scan a QR code, and instantaneously, you know, that key that you want to use with the device is active. Um, I don't want to get too far into that, uh, but I do want to mention that this feature of statelessness opens up some other interesting possibilities because it makes it very reasonable to use Seed Signer with not just one private key, but multiple private keys. So if you would like to have multiple single signature wallets where you kind of segregate funds and you want to operate those separately, Seed Signer um, is absolutely a good tool for that. Or if you want to, if you're not sure about multi-sig and you want to just start experimenting with multi-sig, once you have that seed signer in your hands, the cost to generate and use additional private keys, the marginal cost is basically zero. So you can create as many keys as you want with a device. And then um, that gives people a lot of freedom to you know, either use testnet or if you prefer to test on mainnet and you know, put a few dollars at risk. You can very quickly get into a multi-sig uh, wallet and start learning whether or not multi-sig is something that you're comfortable with, something that you feel is approachable for whatever your technical level is. Um, Bitcoin security is a moving target, but I think at this stage of the game, for people who are using this as a savings tool, uh, multi-sig, geographically multi distributed multi-sig, is is really where you want to be. That is what gave me. Uh, significant peace of mind when when I was kind of rethinking my um, uh, Bitcoin security setup. And I'll give you the reason why. Um, I mentioned I was a police officer and I, I you know, I, I, I don't, I, I joke, I don't say I'm a police officer because it's going to make me the most popular guy in a room or, you know, when I talk to other people. But if Bitcoin ever becomes, uh, if we ever get to the, and then they fight you, stage uh people like me you're going to want to have on team bitcoin because i have um, helped author subpoenas to internet service providers i've helped write search warrants 
I've helped execute search warrants and and you know search private residences for artifacts. Most of my career was in the realm of uh, child exploitation and that type of online crime. But I've been on a couple search warrants where we're looking for a Bitcoin hardware wallet and Trezor, Ledger, Cold Card, the big three, plus a few others. Those are immediately recognizable as something that has to do with Bitcoin and something that stores private keys. And people in general are really bad at choosing pin codes. Um, as someone who's also you know, had to attempt to guess pin codes, you, you, you go to like the top three, like last four year social, uh, birth year, a month and date of your birthday or your spouse's birthday or your children's birthdays. Like so many people are just so bad at choosing mm -hmm. pin codes. So multi-signature um, uh, Bitcoin wallets that are geographic, geographically distributed turn the entire game upside down. Um, if someone, you know, whether it's an authority or just somebody who's a thief or malicious comes into your home looking to steal your Bitcoin, with multi-sig, now suddenly they have to compromise not just, you know, wherever your device or key is hidden in your home, but now they have to figure out where the heck else in the world, you know, whether it's in a safe deposit box or a friend's safe or, you know, buried three feet underground, you know, next to a tree in a field, you know, not that I recommend that, but wherever you're keeping those other secrets that are necessary to have access to your money, it 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 is just... Um, dramatically increases the seizure and theft resistance mm -hmm. of Bitcoin, multi-sig does. So I'll, I'll stop there and let you kind of redirect. I think probably from here, it would be worth hearing a little bit about BTC hardware solutions, because my, my guess is that you have at least a few things in mind that would be helpful for people if they have a seed signer. Maybe some of the things that you would recommend they consider purchasing, whether from BTC hardware solutions or elsewhere, and maybe also a few of your favorite things, assuming they don't fall into that necessary or very helpful to have category. Right, right, sure. Um, I try to, uh, and for if you do a web search for BTC Hardware Solutions, it's a Square store um, because Square works well with Cash App that I used, I, I mentioned before. Um, or on Twitter, it's BTC underscore hardware. Um, I try to keep the inventory of things that I sell mostly limited to things that are useful for um, Bitcoin and using your Bitcoin more productively and storing Bitcoin especially. So um, I sell seed center kits for people who would like to build their own seed center, but maybe don't feel comfortable um, sourcing the right components or just like the convenience factor of everything coming together. I, I also sell assembled signers for people who maybe just want to try one and aren't as concerned that someone else put it together. Uh, but what I also sell are um, a couple of different ways to uh, manage your keys um, persistently over time. So steel solutions, kind of the gold standard in Bitcoin when you're preserving a private key or seed words, which represent, of course, a private key. The standard is to somehow get the seed words represented on durable metal that is rust resistant and therefore flood resistant and you know the right grade of metal is also fire resistant so the big kind of things that could happen is if you live in some sort of flood prone area maybe your house has a flood and your harbor wallet isn't going to potentially survive that so you want to have those keys on metal same thing with fire you know floods and fire not 
super common, but they mm-hmm. do happen. So one thing I sell is a QR code template mm-hmm. that is on um, high-grade steel that allows you to take the QR code that I talked about earlier that you can use to import into your seed center. You can actually take that QR code and with a centering punch that's available just at your local hardware store, you can actually punch out the, um, I'd call them the QR pixels that get your QR code onto a steel plate. And um, you can also go over it with a Sharpie. And now you have this steel plate that is a representation of your private key. And what I love about that is um, there's this issue with Bitcoin cold storage of having to have multiple copies of your private key. Uh, it's a, it's an issue inherent to hardware wallets because if you or anyone listening to this has ever set up a hardware wallet, um, what's the absolute first thing they have you do almost right after you power the device on? Put the words down The device presents right? yeah. you with a new seed phrase and they, they usually have a card that's packaged with it until you write these you know 12 or 24 words down, keep them in a safe place, um, yada, yada, yada. First thing I'll say about that is never trust um, a hardware device to provide you with a private key. You want to, if it's a brand new device, you actually want to, instead of going through the manufacturer's initial onboarding, you actually want to create your own private key that in a way that doesn't involve any sort of computer using a random number generator, you want to either pick the seed words you know, out of a hat or roll dice There's several different flip, uh, do a coin toss. There's several different ways you can do it, but that mitigates some sort of, uh, we call it a retirement attack attack where maybe, um, a random number generation. This actually came up, uh, recently. Uh, I can't think of the name of the exploit, but what people thought was random, either maybe there's a flaw in the randomness or maybe it's an engineered flaw and it makes it easier for someone else to probabilistic probabilistically, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm saying that right, guess private keys that would have been generated by this hardware device, this algorithm. So enough on that. Um, you give the key to the device. Don't let the device give you the key. But then, like I said, you have to write these words down. Now, with a conventional hardware wallet, you have a digital copy of your private keys uh, that is stored on the hardware device itself, but you also have these, these words that are written down. What do you do with those? Um, because chances are you didn't add a passphrase to the, the seed phrase because you perceive the hardware wallet as having a certain degree of access control. And that's the whole point of the hardware wallet is that it protects your private key. But as anybody knows, um, that's, you know, has a reasonable degree of technical proficiency with Bitcoin, those seed words, unless they're protected by an additional word 25 passphrase, those seed words are your private key. If someone gets access to those, they can potentially take Mm -hmm. all of your money. So you have these two things and what do you do with them? Do you store the seed words with the wallet? That doesn't make any sense because if there's a fire or something, you want to preserve those. So a lot of people will put them in a safe deposit box, but now you have two copies of your private key floating around and the seed words are in this place where is it possible to snoop on safe deposit boxes, you know, at a bank? Anecdotally, I've heard that, that, that I don't know of any, confirmed reports of that happening but is it possible yeah it's possible um so what i love to get back to the 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 seed signer model and specifically these metal qr codes is that qr code that has your private key stamped into it is potentially the only copy of your private key that you will ever need and in a multi-sig configuration 
Um, if you're using a traditional hardware wallet and each wallet has two copies of the seed phrase you need to keep track of, the device itself, and then the written down backup, all of a sudden you have a lot of things that you have to worry about finding places to put them. If you're using a seed signer, because the key is not stored on the device, um, you know, if you write those seed words on a piece of paper, if you're comfortable with that, that can be the only copy of that key that you need in the world. But with these, these metal plates, um, yeah, they're, they're a great way to persistently keep just that single copy of a given key over time. How long does it take to, uh, to stamp out a QR code? Because yeah, I've, I've seen QR codes before that are uh, very intricate and some that are not so much. But when it comes to mm-hmm. tapping out this QR code, how intricate is it and how long does it take usually to get down to the bottom of it? Our, uh, we call it seed QR and the, the templates come in three sizes. There's a 21 by 21 grid. There's a 25 by 25 grid and there's a 29 by 29 grid. There are some choices to make in terms of how you want your seed words encoded. Um, but most people probably land on this 25 by 25 grid. And if you sit down with a template and a Sharpie, um, I would say you get that done in about 10 minutes. Our user interface, it it may sound um, kind of very manual and rote transcribing a QR code, but our our, um, user interface does a great job of taking the larger QR code and breaking it down into smaller chunks. So for a 25 by 25 uh, grid, it breaks it down into five by five chunks. And you just go through and look at what's displayed on the screen. And then you look down at the QR code and you fill in the... uh, the grid spaces, you know, to match what you're seeing on the screen, move to the next five by five grid. And that's how you step through the process. Um, And then once you, you can also do this in our software as a part of the standard workflow. Once you've transcribed that, uh, that QR code, you immediately have an opportunity to use the onboard camera and scan it back into the device to confirm you've done it correct. Once you've done it correct, that QR code's kind of set. In metal, it will take a little bit longer. That depends if you use an automatic punch or, you know, an old school hammer and manual center punch. Um, But still, anytime you put keys into metal, whether it's, you know, onto washers or any of the other backup solutions where you're taking uh, uh, letters, you know, and potentially numbers and hammering them into metal. Anytime you try to put uh, letters or other marks in metal, there's going to be some proof of work involved, we'll say. But um, definitely like 20 minutes, which, you know, if, if that copy of that key is going to last you for the rest of your life, it, it, it's it's a reasonable time investment uh, to do it. Absolutely. Well, Seed, uh, I appreciate what you shared today. Could you share with people where they can go to find out more about the Seed Signer project, as well as BTC Hardware Solutions, if they want to check that out and see if there's anything they need to add for their personal setup? Absolutely. Um, and before I say that, I'll, I'll just say I appreciate having me on today. I, I am a regular listener, um, first time guest, but uh, uh, our marquee website for the Seed Center project is seedcenter.com. If you go there, you can kind of get a summary of the value proposition of the Seed Center. We have a great section, uh, an explainer section that has YouTube videos and other documents that are in actually several languages. Um, for people who just kind of want to see a device in action or they have a specific workflow that they're trying to use the device for and they they may need a little guidance. Um, We have some great guides from BTC Sessions and Econo Alchemist and some other kind of uh, people out there who do kind of uh, tutorial videos. 
Um, our GitHub repo is also surprisingly approachable uh, for people who are curious to learn more about the project. On Twitter, uh, it is just the word seed signer, the seed and signer put together uh, is our Twitter handle. I'm also on Nostra, as I mentioned before. And for uh, BTC Hardware Solutions, which uh, is kind of my side hustle that helps me fund uh, my personal work on the Seed Center project. We have, you know, a dozen or more contributors, uh, probably more than that at this point, who interface with the project and regularly work on not just the code, but other aspects uh, of the project. Um, but for me to be able to go around to conferences and travel and cover some of the web hosting expenses and just things that come up, I have this online uh, store called BTC Hardware Solutions where I sell um, mostly items related to cold storage. And uh, uh, you can find that, like I said, just by putting into a search a search bar, BTC Hardware Solutions. So that's what I got. Great. Seed, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. If you want to reach out to either me or Seed, you can find those links down in the show notes. And if you want to upgrade your own self-custody, consider the Seed Signer Project or BTC Hardware Solutions. As always, keep building, keep growing, and until next time, keep living and leading well. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thank you. If you want to take a further step in your support for the show, you can help us grow by listening on Fountain, a value-for-value podcast app on iOS or Android. If you hear something you like that you disagree with or anything else, you can share it by sending some sats and adding a comment with your thoughts. Some of you have already done this, and I appreciate it. I'm going to begin reading your boosts on upcoming episodes, so if you have some insight or value to add, let the people know. Getting started with Fountain is easy. You can add Bitcoin to your Fountain wallet by using your fiat accounts or any lightning wallet and one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app you can earn sats just by listening on fountain check out the link in the show notes to get started with fountain today